today, uh, as, as we go into Easter, we're continuing the series that we've been in called This Is Love. And we've been talking about love in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 through 11. And so as Bill, Pastor Bill has been encouraging you all to kind of memorize this and learn this verse and repeat it over and over again, uh, I want us all to read it out loud again together this morning. Can you do that with me? Two of you are ready. Two of you can do that. The rest of you are like, I'm not even sure where I'm at yet. I'm waking up. Okay, well, if you could do it with me, let's pretend you can, and let's do it together. Let's read 1 John 4, verse 10 through 11. It says this, read it with me. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Amen. If this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation. I love how everybody gets a propitiation. Just blah, blah, blah. Like it's, it's really difficult. Everybody trying to say it together. Uh, but this is what we've been talking about this last few weeks. Pastor Bill has been really hammering this point home, right? This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. The definition of love, if we want to know what true love really is, it's not in us, it's God. God is love. And so if you really want to know what true love is, you've got to go to the source and that's God. He's the source, right? The highest, the greatest, the purest form of love is in God alone because he is the source of all love. It radiates, it emanates, it all comes from him. So if you want to know true love, you can go looking in all the wrong places for love. But God is love and he's true love. And that's how you get to know what love is. If you really want to know what love is, you got to know God because he is, he is love. And so love cannot, it did not originate from us. It all comes from the God who created everything and is love himself. And the way that God loved us, we see this in the first part of the verse, right? It's not that we loved him. He loved us first. We were enemies of God. We were rebellious against God. There's nothing lovable about us. And yet God loved us anyways. And that's incredible when you just wrap your mind around that, right? When you just try to ponder that. And how did God love us? That he, so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to be the propitiation, the word that we had trouble saying, for our sins. And that's just a big word that means that he was the sacrifice on our behalf. He was the atonement for our sins. He took the, the justice and the wrath that we deserve for our rebellion and our sin against God. He took it upon himself so that we could be forgiven. And that's incredible when you think about that, right? He was our substitute. He took our place and all God's wrath was poured out on his own son because he loved us so much that he would send his son, that he would die for us in our place. And when you just wrap your mind around the, the depth and how, how incredible God's love is for us, I mean, what do we do with that? How do we respond to that? And that's where we get to in verse 11, where we're going to be focusing today. It says, beloved, if God so loved us, how did he love us? Everything we were just talking about. He so loved us. What do we do with that? We also ought to love one another. If God has given us that love, if we really understand that love of God, then we better share that love with other people as well. And so that's what I want to talk about today. That's what I want to focus on today. But here's the big problem, okay? We don't love as we should, do we? People are not very good at this. We don't love as we should. We're imperfect. We're fallen. We're sinful. We don't always love as we should. We cannot attain the perfection of God's love for us. We try, we try, but man, we fall short all the time, don't we? We don't love as we should. We hold bitterness and unforgiveness and anger in our hearts towards other people. We, we have rage and we, we curse other people. We slander other people. Somebody cuts us off in traffic and you'll see how quickly we fail to love. 
Some of you just trying to find a seat this morning. It was like, oh, I'm trying to love these people, but it's difficult. <laughs> Too many of them in here. Get out. <laughs> we don't love as we should. We try to love God, but we don't love him well. We don't love him well enough. We, we try to love God, but we love him when it's convenient, when we have time. We love God when we want something. We try to love him well then, but we're, we're not great at loving God either. We're really good at loving ourselves. We're really good at loving our pleasures and our passions and the things that we enjoy, the things that we make idols out of in our lives. But we're not so great at loving one another and loving God. So that's the big problem. We cannot perfectly love God, but thank God that he sent Jesus for us anyways and loved us anyways, so that in him and through him and through the Holy Spirit working through us, that we can continue to grow in our love for God and one another as he continues to, to work through us. And so... Uh, I want to jump back into a verse I think we've covered before, but it says this, 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. We have to understand this. We love because he loved. The reason we love others and the reason that we love others is because God loved us first. And when you understand that, okay, it's not I love you because of obligation. It's not I love you because I have to or God's going to get mad at me. It's I love because I am so in love with God because of what God has done for me because I understand how great and how wonderful his love is for me, then because of that, I love others because I want to, because I get to, because that's what would make God happy. And I just want to please him because I love him so much. I love others because I can't help but show the love that God has given me to other people because I can't just, I'm just amazed at what he's done for me. We love first because he loved. Now, uh, you may or may not know this about me, but right now I'm actually going back to school. Uh, I, I actually, I graduated years ago with a, a master's from Phoenix Seminary in Bible and Theology. And because I wanted to suffer more with Jesus, <laughs> I've gone back to get a bigger one because that's just what I do apparently. Uh, and so for the last nine months, I have been studying Hebrew, which is hard. <laughs> so pray for me. I'm almost, I'm almost done with this semester. And it's, it's brutal. It's difficult because it's all backwards and it's foreign and it's totally unlike any other language I've ever tried to learn before and failed at. And, uh, but I'm learning. I'm learning and it's so good. It's so, but here's what's incredible is it's just so rich. It's so fruitful. When you get a few, there's some things you get when you're studying the original languages that the Bible is written in that you just can't really fully express in English. And you just hear some of the nuances and some, you get some of these just deeper insights into who God is when you read it. Because if you know anything about the Bible, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew and that's a big chunk of the Bible. Uh, and so it's been kind of cool just learning that a little bit. And so I want to pass on just a little bit of the things I've learned to you this morning. You ready? Three of you are ready and the rest of you are like, oh no, I wasn't even able to read the verse in English. How am I going to do this in Hebrew? Uh, here's, here's a word that the Bible uses to describe God over and over and over again. It's one of, if not the most important attributes that we hear of God's description in Hebrew uh, and in the Old Testament. And it's this word, it's chesed. Can you say that with me? Chesed. It's almost like you're a cat. You got to get that chesed. If you didn't get somebody wet in front of you, you didn't do it right, okay? <laughs> chesed. All right. And hesed is an amazing word. It's, it's used often, often all throughout scripture to represent, to, to describe God and his character and who he is. And there's no English, there's no one English word that we can use to, to, to explain the meaning of this word. In Hebrew, we have to use multiple words. So what hesed is often translated into in English is words like steadfast love or covenant faithfulness or even loyalty. It's got this idea that God's, it's God's love, but it's not just any kind of love. It's steadfast love. It is covenant faithfulness to keep his promises. It is loyalty to those who he pours his love out on, right? It's God's faithfulness, his steadfastness, his, fa his faithfulness to fulfill his promises. That's the kind of love that God has for us. 
And that's incredible when we, when we understand that. It's not some fickle love that goes one day and, and comes to the next, you know. God's not some fickle friend who, who you don't know what he's, his mood's gonna be. God's love for us is steadfast, it is faithful, it is loyal, it perseveres, it endures forever. It's incredible. And so you look at it all throughout the Old Testament, you see this over and over and over again. In the book of Isaiah chapter 54, uh, the prophet Isaiah relays the message from God to the people. Look what he says about, from God. This is God speaking through Isaiah. It says, For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my chesed, my steadfast love, shall not depart from you and your covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Even if you move mountains, like mountains come and go, we can blow those things up with dynamite nowadays, right? We can move mountains, but the steadfast love of God is never changing. It's unending. It's gonna be there, stable, it's sure. That's incredible, right? And he has compassion on us. Uh, David writes this in Psalm 2510, and this is all throughout the Psalms, but here's just one example. He says, all the paths of the Lord are chesed. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast and faithfulness. There's steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Every path of the Lord is steadfast love for us if we keep his promises and, and his testimonies. If we just follow after him, it's steadfast. Even though we do it imperfectly, he still pours that steadfast love on us. It's incredible. Uh, Moses, uh, in uh, the book of Exodus, he gets the 10 commandments from the Lord on Mount Sinai. You've probably heard that story before. And God uh, passes by Moses and he describes himself. And so here's how God describes himself in the book of Exodus, chapter 34, verse six through eight. Listen to this. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Thank God for that. He's not quick to be angry with us. And abounding in what? Chesed. Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. And then look how Moses reacts. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. So here's God describing himself. He, I am the God abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness and loyalty to keep my promises to you, forgiving your sins, forgiving your transgressions, if you'd simply follow me and believe in me. It's incredible, isn't it? Yes, he's still a God of justice. He's still gonna, people are still gonna get what they deserve in the end if they don't repent and believe in him. But he's a God of steadfast love and faithfulness and forgiveness for all who call on his name. That's the kind of love that he pours out on us and that he poured out on us through Jesus on that cross for us. Uh, it's incredible, isn't it? You see, though, our love for God drifts. His is steadfast. Though we're faithless, He's faithful. Though, though we are shaken, he does not move. And that is a firm foundation that we can build our life on, isn't it? Uh, no matter how much anything in the world changes, God remains the same. His love for us is steadfast no matter what. It's incredible. Even when we fall short, if we just cry out to him, he's there for us. Amen and praise God for that. And so what's the application? Knowing this love about God, when we understand how great and wonderful God's love is for us, what do we do with that? Well, the first thing I think we do is we look at Moses' reaction here, right? What did Moses do? We do what he did. He bowed down immediately, fell down on his face, and he just worshiped God. Because when you understand God's love for you and what he did for you and how little you deserve it, you can't help but just fall over and just worship him, right? 
Have you ever been just so struck by God and how awesome he is that you just can't help but sing his praise or shout amen or hallelujah or just start singing a song? Uh, or even if it's just in your heart somewhere by yourself, you just can't help but worship him. That's our reaction to God's love for us. And that's why we sing praise songs here every single week in church. That's why we worship him every single week. And we're going to be singing his praises in heaven for all eternity because he is so good. And then when you see him for who he is and you understand his love for you, you can't help but just sing his praises. So we worship God. And then the second thing we do is we follow him because we follow what we worship, right? Whatever it is we worship in life, we're going to follow that thing. And if we're worshiping God, we're going to follow him. Not because we have to, because we're obligated to, because he's going to get mad and shake his fist at us if we don't but because we love him and we want to please him and we want to serve him and we want to follow him. So his commands aren't a burden. His commands are our joy to follow because we love him so much and we're so thankful for what he has done for us. So we worship him and we follow him. And how do we follow God? Well, we love him and we love other people. That's it. You love God and you love people. Uh, this is what the writer in John is getting at in 1 John 4, 10 and 11. John writes, and this is love, right? Now that we've loved God, but that he loved us. He sent his son for us to be the propitiation for our sins. And beloved, if God so loved us, if we understand his love for us, what do we do? We ought to love one another. That's how we should be living our lives. Jesus summed this all up when he's talking about the great commandment. That they were, he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, it's this, it's love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, everything you have, love God. And there's a second command that's just almost as great. The second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. You love God and you love people. That's how you love God. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 13, verse eight through 10. He says, he's summarizing kind of what Jesus is saying. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Think about that. The entire law, the Old Testament, all these rules, all these commandments, if you just love one another, you're fulfilling it. It's all you got to do. It's easier said than done, but it's all you got to do. That's, that's what we're about. For the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandments are summed up in this word, you shall love the neighbor, your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So love fulfills the law. That's what we're called to do. We love God and we love others. Every single commandment that theologians will tell you can be summed up in one of these two categories, either loving God or loving people. That's what it's all about. So as we're celebrating Palm Sunday today, and we're thinking about Easter and Jesus. One of the things we're reminded of is him on the, la on the Last Supper, the night before he was betrayed. He's sitting in the upper room with the disciples. He, he gives the Last Supper. And one of the things he does in the Last Supper is he gives his disciples a new commandment. And anytime you hear a new commandment, I mean, think about that. The, the disciples must have perked up when Jesus said, I'm going to give you a new commandment, right? Like they're, they're, they're paying attention. They're locked in. What is he about to say? And if a pastor ever stands up and says, I'm going to give you a new commandment, you should be concerned, okay? Because there's nothing new. <laughs> uh, nothing, it shouldn't be adding anything to scripture. But when Jesus does it, does it, and he's the son of God, right? He says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Everybody's ears should perk up. And you go, what is this new commandment, Jesus? What is it and how can I follow it? And here's what Jesus says on the, last, the night before he's betrayed. When he knew Jesus was leaving to go betray him, he says this, John 13, 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Do you think Jesus wants us to get this? How many times does he tell us to love one another? Three different times, right? What? Love one another, love one another, have love for one another. And here's the thing. You look at this and you go, how is this a new commandment? 
Doesn't the whole, whole Old Testament love God, love others? Didn't Jesus already say that? Hasn't Jesus already told us to love people? Isn't it all throughout scripture? Like, can't we, how is this new, right? Have you ever thought about that? Well, it's this right here. Jesus, here's the new part, the how we're supposed to do it. As I have loved you. The new commandment was Jesus wasn't just saying love anybody. He wasn't just saying love, love people however you want. He's saying, here's exactly how I'm commanding you to love people. The same way that I am loving you. And Jesus was about to show his love for everybody by going to that cross willingly to die for us. So this new commandment isn't just love people, it's love as Jesus loves. And that's when loving gets difficult, right? If you say, hey, love everybody. You're like, oh, great, that's fine. We can be friends. I can be nice to you. That's all good. We can love everybody. But when you say love them like Jesus loved them, that's where things get hard. That means I might have to love somebody that's unlovable. That might mean that I have to sacrifice. That might mean that I love someone in a way that it's gonna, it, it hurts. I might have to suffer. I might have to be uncomfortable. I might have to go across the aisle in the church and meet somebody I don't know and haven't met before. And it makes me uncomfortable. I might have to go sacrifice. I might have to give. I might have to serve and give up my time. I might have to let go of my kingdom and, and follow God in his kingdom. That's when love gets difficult. Loving like Jesus loved. But that's the commandment that, that Christ has for us. And notice this, how are they to know that we're his disciples? What was supposed to be the mark of Christianity? That we love one another. But how does the world see Christians today? What, 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 if you were to ask most people in the world, what's the, some signs or some markers of Christianity? Be like, oh, you'll know they're disciples by their bumper stickers, right? You'll know they're the disciples by their sharing Bible verses on Facebook. You'll know that they're followers of Jesus because they have t-shirts or because they listen to that kind of music or they have this kind of politics or they, whatever. Like you'll know that they're followers because they're self-righteous or judgmental or whatever else they might label us with, right? Whatever else signs they might see that, that they think represents Christianity, some good and some not so good, Right? And for better or worse, I think Christians today, we're, we're known by a lot of things, but we're not always known for our love. And if we get nothing else, I hope we understand this as a church, that the love, love is the mark of Christianity, according to Jesus. That's what we should be marked by. That's what our signal is. That's what we should be identified as, as a people who love the way that Jesus loved us. That's what we should be known for, by our love. Uh, if you think about it in the world uh, all, we have thousands of different groups and everybody identifies themselves in different ways, don't they? Uh, there's thousands of different groups and thousands of different clubs and different identity groups that people clump themselves into and they've all got some sort of symbol to let you know that they're part of the club, right? Uh, there, there's people who, who've got like, they've got flags. There's people who've got like symbols. There's people who've got like tattoos. People who have like hats. They got pins. Uh, that's maybe by the kind of car you drive. I'm part of this group because I drive this kind of car. I'm part of this group because I got this kind of car. Not like that kind of car, you know? Uh, and there's all these different people. You've got all sorts of different identifiers, right? Uh, for me, I've got one in my office. I've got this cheese head that I'll put on every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Packers. <laughs> and some of you love that. And some of you hate that. Pastor Bill hates that. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> Pray for him. But, <laughs> but when I put that on, I'm identifying I'm part of this group, right? And everybody who loves it, loves it. And the people who hate it, they hate it. And there's other people who they don't even know what I'm doing. They're like, you're weird. Why are you wearing that styrofoam thing on your head? <laughs> but we have all these little signals and these things that we give off to other people. I'm part of this social status because I wear this brand, Right? Or I'm, I don't even care about social status because I wear this, you know, uh, whatever. We all give off little symbols of, and, and signals of who we are, what group we belong to. And as Christians, think about this. The earliest Christians, the time of Jesus and right afterwards, look, just look at the book of Acts. 
They didn't have a symbol. They didn't have a hat or a flag or an identification the way that they signaled to everybody else early on of who they were. Those developed over time eventually. And yeah, now we've got the cross and different other symbols and things that Christians use. But the earliest church, they were known by one thing, and that was their love for one another. They weren't about the pomp and the circumstance of kings and priests. That was Jesus. He fulfilled that role. They were just about loving one another and being the church and, and practicing the love of Christ to one another. And that is one of the reasons the church grew rapidly and crazily and it just spread all over the entire world because they were in a group marked by their love for one another. And my hope today is that we would be a church like that, that we would be a church that just loves one another. And so really, really quick, since I'm completely out of time, I just want to go through this list that I put together really fast. And I'm going to go through it quick because I don't have time to go through all of it. And there's way more things I could add to this list. But here's some ways that we can love one another, okay? One of the ways that we love people is just kindness and friendship. Just being kind and friendly to people. 2 Timothy 2.24 says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. It means hospitality, inviting people in your homes, being friendly. This should be the friendliest place in the world because it's filled with Christians who love Jesus and want to share that love with other people. Amen? ACC should be the most friendly place to ever be because, because we want to show everybody the love of Christ. And when you walk on this campus, you should be part of our family. Another way that we show love to one another is listening to people. Right? Proverbs 18, 13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it's his folly and shame. Anyone guilty of this? <laughs> right? uh, it's, it's saying, I care about you enough where I'm going to close my mouth and I'm going to pay attention to what you have to say and put my needs aside. I'm going to listen to what you have to say before I try to give you an answer. And I'm going to listen to you tell me your problem before I tell you what your problem is and tell you how to fix it. <laughs> I love you enough to give you my time and my ears. Way that God listens to us. When we pray. Uh, another way, it's encouraging one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another. Build one another up just as you're doing. A word of encouragement can change your life. It can, especially when it's the right word that you needed to hear when you're feeling it at your worst. Another way that we do it is generosity and service. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. We all have different gifts and abilities, whether it's giving our time, giving our talent, giving our treasure, whatever it is. Uh, we uh, serve one another. That's the way that we love. And sometimes that means sacrifices. And sometimes that means doing things that are difficult. Uh, but this church is incredible because you're so generous and you're so willing to serve. And we need more of that. It's awesome. Another way we love is grace and forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We forgive because Christ has forgiven us even more. So how dare we hold little grudges against other people when God, Christ has forgiven us as far greater things. And so we need to be a people marked by grace and forgiveness for one another. And then one thing that we often forget, sometimes love isn't always being nice. Sometimes loving people is instruction. Sometimes loving people is correction. Uh, one of the most loving things a pastor could do, 2 Timothy 4.2, the commandment for pastors, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season to reprove, rebu rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Sometimes the most loving thing we can do is we open the word of God and we read from the word of God and we tell people the commands of God and not just the easy ones or the things that people like, but the hard ones too. And sometimes that means exhorting them, encouraging them, building them up. And sometimes it means reproving and rebuking and correcting. How? With patience, with love, teaching them. And, and uh, you know, as Christians, sometimes you need to go to somebody as a brother and sister in Christ and say, I love you so much. I care about you so much that I'm not going to let you go down that path. Or I'm at least going to say, I see you heading this direction and I'm worried about you and I'm praying for you and I hope that you'll consider this instead. It's hard. And sometimes that's not seen as love in the eyes of the other person, but sometimes the most loving thing you can do is step in and, and, and 
and rebuke someone or step in and correct someone. Now, if you're constantly doing that and running to it quickly, okay, don't be that person who's emotional and just constantly ripping people and judging people and getting upset at people. But patiently, prayerfully, with the Holy Spirit's guidance saying, I, I feel like I need to say something to this person. Uh, that sometimes that's the most loving thing we can do. And it's not always easy, but you do it with love and compassion and care for another person. So here's where we're at. Easter's coming next week. I don't know if you've heard about it. Um, it's going to be big and we're talking about it all over and over again. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be an awesome service. Some of you, the most loving thing you can do is just grab that invite card that's in your bulletin and hand it to somebody this week. Say, I love you so much. I really think you'll love this church. Or to, to have the difficult conversation of telling somebody else about how much you love God and what Jesus has done for you and telling them the good news of the gospel. That's one of the most loving things you can do, even if you're scared, even if you don't know how they're going to receive it. You do it with love, you do it with grace, you do it with kindness and patience and pray for them. But invite somebody to come. Invite somebody to come. Love them enough to, to have that difficult conversation or to get over your own fears. And you be, might be surprised what God does with that. So here's just my question. I want to wrap it up with this. Are you receiving God's love and also passing it on to others? The most miserable Christians are the ones who only receive, 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 and never give, right? If you just hold on to things and never give it out, you're in trouble. Hold your breath the rest of the sermon. You're going to be in trouble, right? Drink a lot of water and try to sit through a church service. <laughs> you're going to be in trouble. You, you, life is all out. You receive it and you give it. You receive the love of God and you give it out. Yeah.